0: looks like I finally got you to come back to the green box, bro. Man, it's not even like that, bro. I've just been busy, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, 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 man. Whatever you say. But today, we got a comic creator Bill mcsci McCormick on the show. Oh, that's cool. That's the creator of Legends Parable and Martian's Marvels. And that's right, man. And you know what's crazy? Man, nothing has triggered you to leave the show right now. Nothing. You really still here. Man, that's a bet, man. I'll just be chilling, man. I don't know, man. i just be chilling. and stuff just happen. So red. Hey, man. That's what's up, man. Hey, let's go ahead and just bring him on the show. Hey, I'm sorry, bro. You know i don't even like, the whole yeah. superhero thing. But, but I gotta, I gotta, gotta go, bro. bro. I gotta go. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. sorry. Alright, welcome back to the hood. You know, this chilling with Greenbox with specs thompson and the view and once again uh, the views not here but the court in the curtain of bill he got a real reason to, to uh leave this time like he said he, he heard gunshots on his last interview so you know the view had to go check that out so this time you're the reason why <laughs> he's not he's not in the show but uh thanks for coming on anyway man
1: oh my pleasure my pleasure this sounds like a lot of fun
0: yeah it, it is man i try to be different than other podcasts and shows you know um I, I kind of felt like some shows, you know, people just get on there and blab an hour, or two hours about to, their, their Kickstarter or whatever, or it, it'd be a ten people on it on a stream and you know nothing ever gets accomplished. So I decided to make this, you know, more uh, casual, you know, hence mm-hmm. um, the term chill in the green box. You know, I'm not sure uh, wherever you're from. You had the little electrical boxes in front of your house that y'all y'all, y'all hang out on
1: uh well i they, we had them we, we were not allowed to hang out on them our parents would kill us um. oh well
0: i guess we had more lenient or non observant parents <laughs> but typically you know uh we just sit on there you know talk chill you know funny thing about it now I'm thinking about it most of the time there was there was a bus stop so that's part mm-hmm. why we was you know be on there because we had stand there in the morning time waiting for the school bus to come so I guess it's like later on, you know, on the weekends, whatever, we just go in the same spot. So maybe that's yeah, the reason. <laughs> it
1: makes sense to me. Good habits and all that, yeah. up. all right.
0: Good. Well, introduce yourself to the people for a little bit, then we'll go on to the uh, the questions.
1: Okay, Dougie. Um, My name's Bill McSci-Fi McCormick. Uh, the name McSci-Fi came from an Amazon screw up where they lost all my books. Um, that's a very funny story. We'll do it some other day. But uh, anyway, I'm Bill McCormick. I'm a science fiction writer based in Chicago. I write uh, novels, I write graphic novels, I write comic books. Uh, I'm in a bunch of anthologies. And, and today I think we're talking about comics and just all, all the cool stuff we've got going on there. And um, other than that, it's not much to say. Uh, I write stuff, people buy it, and I have a roof over my head. So I'm good to go.
0: <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Sounds good to me, man. In um, this show, you know, I got four different segments, you know, I do. Mm-hmm. So uh, people can learn more about you. Um, Getting and to first, know you, getting to know all about yeah, we, we, we you. these Sorry. questions. You know, I'm pretty, pretty good at <laughs> these questions. So uh, um, first segment is called Breaking It Down. Uh, since your parents didn't allow you to chill in the green box, mm-hmm. typically what we would do is use, uh chill in the green box with your friends and whatnot and break things down, ideas, concepts, and you know, whatever y'all are going through. Mm-hmm. But on this segment, I'm going to break your brain down a little bit so people get a better feel of who you are. Okay. All right. So my yeah. first my first question for you, I got uh, what's the favorite what's your favorite thing about your team? And that could be any kind of team you know you're involved in. Like,
1: uh you mean my a team that I belong to or a team that I cheer I mean,
0: for? Yeah, like your favorite team, sports team or oh. your team of creators or your work team, whoever, you know.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Well, I'll go with team of creators, Um. Uh, Brian Biggerland Daniel is the uh, owner of Hadithi Sambaba Comics, and uh, he and I crossed paths in 2016, and it has just been an incredibly productive relationship. In fact, I mean, we started out as two guys who barely knew each other at a coffee house to him ending up standing up at my wedding and being my best man. So, I mean, you know, that's that's a relationship that's worked. Um, He's one of the reasons, and this is kind of a running joke, he's one of the reasons that nobody knows I'm white, because uh, he's black, and (laughs) the whole company, Hadithi Sambaba, for Christ's sake. It's, it's an African name, means Parallel <laughs> Stories. Um, you know, so it's like we've got all this stuff going on and then there's me waving in the background, no, no, I wrote this, I wrote this, but uh, <laughs> it's what Brian and I have a, a tremendous relationship. We've got a bunch of new stuff coming out this year. Uh, we're getting back into doing conventions this year. Uh, it's just an absolute joy to work with, an absolute pleasure to know. And um makes my life better. I try and make his life better, and we try not to stress each other out over the small shit. And uh, we got stuff done. He's a great guy to work with. So yeah, that's that's my team. I'll cheer that.
0: Cool, cool, cool. All right. Next question. Uh, who has been your most interesting, uh, confusing and or annoying neighbor?
1: Oh, that one's easy. That one's easy. I used to live I live on I used to live in Fullerton and Pulaski in Chicago, which means nothing to you, but if you live in Chicago, it means everything. Um <laughs> but I used to live there and I had a guy who lived next door to me. And he was one of those section eight people who had Madison and, you know, he needed he needed to be off the streets. And that was cool. But um, he had this thing for playing Mighty Mouse music at like six o'clock in the morning. Here I come to save the day. Six o'clock every freaking morning for like a year. And then somebody I don't know, somebody somewhere turned him on to Hair metal. So then it was all poison and uh, all that stuff, you know, just like uh, Poison, guns, and roses, uh, wa- warrant, and all that stuff just over and over. And then he went back to Mighty Mouse. And I was kind of grateful he went back to Mighty Mouse after a while. <laughs> not really a hair metal guy, but you know,
0: I had a, yeah. I, I had a similar situation. I used to live in this trailer park, and um, I, my neighbor used to beef with each other. So, some reason I never understood why, but the, uh, the, the white guy he would uh turn his speakers facing the Mexican's yard and mm-hmm. play. I don't know if it was a soundtrack or what it was, but it was like 80s music. But I assume it was a soundtrack for Rocky. I don't know which one, but I assume mm-hmm. it was that. Then the Mexicans would play their you know, authentic Mexican music and they'll blast it at each other, like 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 two DJs, you know, battling each other type thing. I'm like, what's going on? And it's like the white guy is like saying songs, every order, so that's why I think it was a soundtrack.
1: <laughs> we had a, when we first moved in here on the south side of Chicago, we had a neighbor across the street a uh, Mexican guy, and he would play uh, Tejano music and Durango music on this 500-watt system that he had parked on his porch. So, I mean, you could hear it for a mile. And then um, I was looking at it, because he had it wired up through a couple of what they do, like uh, foghorn speakers that they have on um, tugboats and stuff like that. They weren't <laughs> regular speakers. They were these things. And I'm like, that's not going to last. And sure enough, one night he had it going really cranking loud, and I was just about to go out and yell at him, and all of a sudden I heard, boom, and the whole thing went up in flames. I'm like, ah, eh, never mind. <laughs>
0: god works in mysterious ways huh yeah <laughs> all right my next question you like this one you like this one uh i've liked the most of her if you were a kit- kitchen utensil which one would you be and why
1: Ooh, uh <laughs> if i were a kitchen if you were a tree um <laughs> if i were a kitchen utensil uh hmm, i I think I would like to be a spatula.
0: You like to flip stuff?
1: <laughs> yeah, I like to flip stuff. Um, you can ask my wife about that. It's a whole different conversation. But yeah, I would like to be a spatula.
0: Okay. Uh, do, you cook, do you even cook?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah I'm an ex- 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 excellent cook. I've, uh, I used to host a cookbook, an annual cookbook, uh, in conjunction with the writers from the Chicago Sun-Times, Tribune, The Defender, and uh, MTV, and uh, Sports Illustrated, and stuff like that. And it was a we called it the Jay the Joe comedy uh, holiday cookbook, and what I would do is every year around Christmas I'd give it away as a PDF. People could download it, mm-hmm. and it, we we did at its peak we would do 150,000 downloads a year on it. So, oh, that's what's up. You know, so I, I did that, and um, it uh, I I am an excellent cook. Um, I think my wife she fell in love with me one night. We were we were sitting at her house and uh, her parents' house, and we were just kind of stuck there. And there was like nothing in the fridge, and I whipped up this Northern Italian dish using cooked lettuce and steamed it and garlic and everything. She's like, "Where'd this come from? We have no food." I'm like, yes, we have. You just didn't know how to put it together, you know." And it's like, <laughs> and it was a delicious meal too. It wasn't just like garbage I threw on a plate. And so she was really happy. And I, I make a lot of different stuff. I, I like to make a lot of Mexican stuff, a lot of Mediterranean stuff. I'm getting better at making Asian stuff. We in our neighborhood, we just don't really have the ingredients to do that.
0: But uh... so, so what's the difference between the Mediterranean food and Italian food?
1: Uh, mediterranean food tends to be more grain oriented uh a l- little less oils um almost no pastas uh you have a uh, it's a little more vegetable oriented um uh the meats where in the in, uh, in, in italian food you tend to get the sausages and the meats and stuff like that in mediterranean you tend to get goat lamb uh other things like that so it's it's different variety of stuff
0: you know also oh, italian food is like more stuff that you'll find more inland yeah, yeah. okay
1: and especially northern Italian, it's almost German food when you get up north. It's not quite as creamy, but, you know, when you get okay. up to Naples and stuff like that, it's, you, you don't, like, southern Italian, it's called the red sauce Italian food. You know, so you got spaghetti and, pot, spaghetti and meatballs and stuff like that. Then mm-hmm. as you go more north, it becomes more Germanic, more Teutonic. So, okay. you know, it's drifting away from the ocean, so they don't have as much ocean
0: food. No, it's not like that. Uh, makes sense to me. Both well. have seafood, though. Both have a lot of seafood. So. Okay. okay. Well... That's end of that segment. You know, a pretty good segment. Uh, all right. But uh, now we're gonna go into um your back issues. Okay. Now, being in comics, you know, you know all about back issues. But for people, yeah, that's why
1: I take medicine so I can walk. And my back hurts. I have back issues.
0: But yeah, for people who don't know uh what back issues are, if you want to uh, find out about a character, if you want to find out about uh <clears throat> the uh. The Red Skull from Captain America, you're going to his back issues to find out more about his origin story, where he came from. So in this segment, we're going to go into your back issues. So we find out about more about your origin. Okay. All right. Um, all right. All right. So where's, uh, where are you from and what do you call your hood?
1: Ah, uh, that's kind of a complicated question. Um, we're not, <laughs> how, this is going to sound really weird. I don't know where I was born. Wow. So. <laughs> uh, so my hood is, I don't know, uh, I grew up, I spent my early youth in, uh, northern Wisconsin, but I grew up in Melrose Park, Illinois, which is, uh, in a, pretty much a predominantly Italian neighborhood. Um, went to a Catholic school there, Sacred Heart of Mary, um, left home after high school, uh, moved into Chicago and I've been really much a Chicago kid ever since I've lived in Andersonville, Logan Square. Now I live on the South side, um. But I, I never really had a hood. I traveled a lot. I played with bands and stuff, especially in you know, the late 70s, all the way into the 90s. And so, you know, my hood would be London. My hood would be Germany. My hood would be Tokyo. My hood would be wherever I hung my hat that night. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like I know a lot of people, they grew up, they know their neighborhood, they've been in their neighborhood forever. That's not me. It's like The first thing I did is I wanted to escape my neighborhood. I didn't really feel like I belonged there. And mm-hmm. um Then as I, you know, did other things, I I was writing to entertain myself, and I was touring with bands and playing bass and guitar, sometimes keyboards, and um, I saw a lot of the world that way. So I think if you're going to narrow it down, I would say the world is my hood, you know, because I've been, I've traveled around it, and I've I've met a lot of people, and I learned how to not do stupid stuff, you know, you go meet people, you learn, oh, I, I learned one thing, everybody, no matter how different we are, everybody wants the same thing, they want a roof over their head, they want food on the table, and they want a better life for their children. There, that's it, that's, that's it. If you can't grasp that, you're not allowed to play the game anymore. You know, it's like, so so that's it. The world's my hood. (laughs) That's where I hang
0: my hat. All right. Sounds good to me. All right. Uh, What was your first encounter or first uh, genre of song music that had an uh, impression on you?
1: Ooh. um, First... I would have to say the first I'd listened to a lot of country and stuff coming up when I was growing up but uh, the first thing that actually just hit me like a hammer to the face was uh, Black Sabbath's Black Sabbath Black Sabbath released uh, like 1972 or 71 it was, a, it was a record I'd never heard anything like it um, you know I, I sure I mean I, I'd heard the Beatles on TV and seen the Rolling Stones on TV I'm old enough to have seen them the first time they came around mm-hmm. but that that record the Black Sabbath record was like what? You know, it just, it just floored me. I was, I've was i been a fan ever since. And uh, it forced me to start listening to other stuff. Actually, it's because of Black Sabbath that I got into P-Funk because of uh, Maggot Brain, Eddie Hazel. It was just like hearing people take guitars and do these really com- incredibly w- innovative things with them. You know, it just turned me on to a whole different way of looking at music. So yeah, that'd be the record. Be
0: the record. OK, OK. All right. Um, what comic book or comic related TV show got you intrigued in the comics? Uh, a
1: couple of things Spider-Man was the comic book that got me hooked in. Related things is actually Thunderbirds, the puppet show. Never heard uh, of that one. Oh, yeah. You got it. Thunderbirds are go. Do me a favor, look it up. You'll love it. It was okay. um late 60s uh Japanese-based uh puppet show that they translated into English and then they eventually started shooting it in America. Um, it's just it's about these guys who have rockets and stuff, and they can go all over the world and save people. And they, it's you know, it's a typical action adventure show. But it's puppets, and I just thought that was so cool and so interesting. And um, the fact that they were able to, because they had puppets, they were able to tackle subjects that you couldn't really get to on TV, especially for a kids' show in those days. Mm-hmm. You know, they could tackle things like Bob has a drinking problem, Carol likes to get to bed with too many men, John, he has, you know. <laughs> and they're doing this with puppets, and I'm like, holy hell, yeah! Bring me in <laughs> dial it in, Holmes. Yeah, tr- trust me on that. Thunderbirds are go. You, 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 you'll be an, you'll be an addict.
0: All right, I uh, will do. Pretty sure it's on Tubi or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all over the place. You can get it on YouTube, for Christ's at this point.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, all right. So with that being said, when did you find out that you're a nerd?
1: Uh, When I got married. My, my third <laughs> wife.
0: My third wife. Um,
1: I mean, up until then, I mean, I hung out with biker gangs. I've been shot. I've been stabbed. I toured the world with rock bands. I thought I was pretty cool. And then we were talking one night, and she's like, man, you're the biggest nerd I ever met. And I'm like, huh? So...
0: I'm a nerd. Yeah, yeah I mean, talking to different creators, um, some would tell me, like, oh, yeah, when I was five years old, I was in kindergarten, you know, I found out I was a nerd. Then some tell me, like, stuff like you did, like, you found out earlier in life. But, like, I'm trying to put a pin on it because, ironically, maybe because how I present myself off the creators mm-hmm. that come to me for my in- for interviews, they're also something to do with music and uh, comics. The majority of them, that's what it's been, like you. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe that's a trend why I'm talking to people when we got the same type of thing going on. But with me, uh, I, I grew up, you know, uh, everybody, you know, with Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, Beyblade, mm-hmm. stuff like that, until about like middle school, you know, then after that. Um, You know, I went the girls, you know, music, all kind of stuff like that. So a lot of people my age, they like, uh, well, I like anime now, like, hence Mm -hmm. the shirt, you know. But (laughs) um, they know about Naruto. I didn't watch Naruto at all. I mean, I watched, like, the first season or two, maybe like that. But, like, Mm -hmm. 400 episodes, no, I didn't watch that. (laughs) Um, Because I was doing other things, so I missed that gap. So it, it tends to be like uh it's called uh, a nerd gap. Mm-hmm. So I think I was I had a nerd gap. So I guess my, adoles- my adolescence, my my teenage years in college as well. I didn't care, you know, I didn't do nerdy stuff. So I guess I I feel like I grew out of that stuff. So when I start like actually like being domesticated with you know with, with females and stuff living in the house with them, then they'll say like uh you kind of nerdy. What you do nerdy stuff. Especially my mm-hmm. fiancé now, since I make comic books and, and all kind of stuff, but, like, I never thought I was that guy, but amongst my friends, I was always with more a technical person. Mm-hmm. Um, hence, I DJed, so I knew about computer stuff. I knew how to hook this stuff up. I did music videos, so I know how to use the program stuff, so I guess I showed that I wasn't... In- I won't say intelligent, but I was I guess, mm-hmm. like, geeky and know how to do the stuff, but... I mean, I never could, you know, I can do everything else in this guy. is I can go, <laughs> you know, do whatever, but I never see myself that way. So, I, I, and mean, I it's pretty I, fun.
1: I think that you and I are the same in that regard. It's like, I cause I, I learned how to DJ. I worked in clubs and, um, and I worked on music videos, worked in the music business and did a lot of stuff. And it's like, and it wasn't, and I didn't realize how big my gap was. You called it the nerd gap. And I think that's a great explanation. Cause when I was young and when I was, even in high school and college and through the years, I always I always ventured over to the nerdy stuff, but I was doing other stuff as well. So I I just thought the nerdy stuff was kind of an addiction to my life. But when we moved down the South Side here, the South Side Chicago, Chicago Public Library, by me, um, there were a bunch of kids there, and they had trouble with English. They were having trouble with history, and they're having trouble with stuff, and they couldn't for they couldn't afford to hire a mentor. So unfortunately for these kids, I'm actually good in those subjects. So I started talking to them about them and starting to help them with their homework, and I got their grades up. So yay point there. <laughs> but as I was helping them, they started filling me in on like Pokemon and all that's way after my time. You know, you're much, you're younger than me. Um, so they started filling me in on Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and Naruto and all that stuff. And it turned out um, one of the big things down down here in Southside Chicago, my whole building is black. And the big thing to do is for the kids to learn Japanese so they don't have to get the subtitles or the voiceover. Uh, versions of the stuff, and I'm like, okay, that's nerd level alpha to learn a you know learn a whole new language. And one young lady, she got so good at it that she ended up with a UN scholarship. And last I saw her, she was on a on a train headed to New York to uh, to have a UN scholarship to be a language interpreter because she spoke. Uh, she was born in Haitian, so she spoke French. She spoke English, and now she spoke Japanese. That makes her a wanted commodity. Oh, so, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. all because she wanted to watch TV. You know, got a whole career out of being a nerd so yeah. you know being a nerd has its advantages you know it, it, it has some really cool things but yeah in my case really wasn't until my wife started talking to me about what I like and what I you know what I'm into and like I could memorize I've memorized all every Star Trek episode ever done and <laughs> yeah I'm a nerd so
0: all right. <laughs> uh, yeah so that was the end of that segment so now we can go into my next one um, this one's a two-parter um, segment uh since you're in the music you're more familiar with this one but it's called the hotkeys so uh djs you know they got certain buttons and certain things marks so they turntables where they can uh, uh play a certain part of the song a certain song you know to get the uh, the party going or whatever at a certain a certain time as well in comics um they have um uh, uh hot keys it's certain like uh, treasure issues, you know, collectors want to get, you know, um, like first appearances, first time writers get on project or artists or uh, I guess a moment in time in comics, you know, they want to collect, you know, and get uh, slapped or whatever or just framed. So mm-hmm. in uh, this segment, it's going to be talking points that, you know, we discussed earlier that you want people to know more about you and, you know, and, and holding the guard to you. Yeah. So we're going to dive into that. So you ready i'm ready all right uh well i'm ask some questions uh, what kind of how many what kind of band was you in oh god um
1: i, I started out playing in punk bands and um then i moved over to funk bands because uh, there's only one letter that was really different um i've done some uh, avant-garde chamber music where it's uh kind of 12-4, 12-7 timing in uh, Asian chord patterns. Um, no one's ever going to buy it, but we had a great time doing it. Um, I've done some goth, uh, done some metal. Um, I did a lot uh, in the early 2000s. I worked on a lot of EDM projects, dance music projects. Um, I, I'm a co-writer on the Esma Kodovic uh, uh, song album in uh, Serbia uh, that she just released. Um, uh, I did a lot of music, oddly enough, in the Latin music community, um, I, Nuevos Musica Latinos, um, okay. <laughs> and actually produced the uh, Lefty Perez uh, music video so- "Soceros Unidos," uh, which became a hit in Miami and Puerto Rico, and uh, led them to have a whole new career down there. So, uh, I've I've done anything with music, really. If it had, if, if if there were instruments to be played, uh, by the way, you're, you've been muted, but uh, if there were instruments to be played. Uh, I played them, you know, or I worked with them. I did something with them. And uh, I, I love music. I love all kinds of music, you know. So I've played Dusty Old Soul. I've played rock and roll. I've played, you name it,
0: I've I've played it. You know? And I've had
1: a great time doing it.
0: Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Right, so that's where you get your, put your hat wherever, you know, mentality, bro. Yeah. Because you being what in whatever being needed. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so... Um, why do you, why do you think people keep saying it's a death of indie comics?
1: Oh, people, <clears throat> this has been, I've been doing indie comics since 2016. And obviously I, I'm friends with a guy named Jiba Malay Anderson, and he's got a series of comics called The Horseman that he's been releasing since late 1999. Um he's been hearing it, it's a death of indie comics. And when I first started working with him on a couple other projects, it was a death of indie comics. And it, I think it is because... Where the mainstream DC, the, the big ones, you know, DC, Marvel, Image, what have you, they they can put out a comic a week, and if you're doing an indie thing, it's usually you and your little team. You can't be cranking out a comic a week, even a month. You know, you're pushing it. Um, so, it always looks like, oh, there's you're, you're never going to get the next one out. Oh, you're never going to do this. Oh, you're not competing in this. But if you step back and you take away the Marvel DC end of it, indie comics are really strong. I mean, I were I'm assistant editor for ICC magazine we have 13,000 people who show up there every day to see what's going on in the indie comic community, where they can buy stuff, where they can do Kickstarters you know, it's a very vibrant community. And by vibrant, I mean, people are making money doing it. People are trading money, doing it. Um, Am I doing a hundred thousand copies a month or 20,000 copies a month? No, no, I'm not. But, uh, and very few people are, but there are, there are still, there's still ways there to make money. There's still ways there to build up fan bases. And I know um, uh, a couple of guys. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna name drop them here because they don't have my permission, but or I don't have their permission. But um, they um, they they do their comics, and they got like one or two distributed by Diamond, just so they could get that in there. And then they do all these cons, and they sell 20, 30 issues. They, they have you know these these whole like five years worth of issues they can sell at cons now. And people indie the indie comic community is you got to be a little creative on how you sell stuff and how you do stuff. But once you get past it, I don't need to be Marvel. Once you get past it, I don't need to be DC. There's a whole world out there that's really exciting. And I get tired of people like, oh, that's so dead. Or that's so, you know, so yesterday. It's like, shut up. I'm doing well here.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, By you saying, saying uh, it's a whole, you know, people are scared. People are scared or whatever or don't know how to, you know, sell. Um, I see a trend on... Uh, on Kickstarter. You know, people uh just want to sell on Kickstarter. You think people are 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 scared of uh well first two part question, All right, I'll break it down. You think okay, people who do Kickstarter, right? They depend solely on Kickstarter. You think they're scared that the like comedies like boom and dark horse are going to Kickstarter now and doing these million dollar funds? and think it's going to take away from their money?
1: Yeah, I think uh Kickstarter's, you know, I've 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 had I've done successful Kickstarters and I've done failed Kickstarters. And Kickstarter is not a reliable way to make your living. Um, you know, I mean, with very, very few exceptions. Um it's just not consistent. And I, I think the problem is is that I see people like you said, that every issue they're doing a Kickstarter for. So their whole fan base has to come in with cash up front, which that's great, you know, for to make you feel more secure. But then it, there's no incentive for you like with my, our comic book legends parallel, for example, we've got it in stores in Michigan. We've got it in stores in Arizona. Uh, we've got it in sto- We've got it in stores around the country, and we we ship it now to London and Germany. And um, we make we do well with it because we're we're not reliant on Kickstarter. We don't have to just keep shipping to you know we're not just fulfilling backers, and um, and I see that some of the numbers people talk about on Kickstarter like, it's, they're disingenuous because they they never really count in how much it cost to print the darn thing they're not really counting in shipping they're not really they're like we made $5 no you didn't you made about a, you made about 75 cents when you get done with it So you know and that's fine but you got to start being honest with yourself because if you because i see these people and they believe they made $5 it's like my ex wife she came home she goes i saved $10 at the grocery store no you didn't you spent 140 you just you could have spent 150 but you spent 140 well, i'm out on 140 dollars i don't have $10 i'm down, down 140 and, you know, people don't look at it realistically like that. And, um, there are some that do. And I, I've noticed a couple of people, um, that, uh, did Kickstarters before have kind of weaned away from it and started going more towards, I got to sell these things. I'm going to go to conventions. I'm going to do different things. For one, your return on investment is actually a lot better because you don't have to pay a Kickstarter fee. You don't have to pay a lot of other things. Second of all, you tend to know what your expenses are walking in the door. So there is no, there's no, uh, mystery of how much you're going to have to come up with. And, um, Third, I think for me, especially, I don't like other people being in my business. And Kickstarter, that's very public. Here's all your money. Here's how much money you got. You know, and people, they look at that and they go, wow, well, you made all this money. No, I didn't because I've got all these expenses. But nobody gets that, you know. So it, we'll probably do a couple more Kickstarters on different projects I'm doing just because people expect it. But I'm not I, it's not like I'm not a fan. I just wish there was different ways for people to do this. I think crowdfunding is a last resort. Not a, It should be a last resort, not a first. You know,
0: yeah. I think uh like the same thing that I said earlier. I think it's the people, the high, people I'm around, cause who I am, we got the same mentality. So, mm-hmm. would you saying that about Kickstarter? I believe it's, it's the same. It's, I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm I'm begging people, you know, on through Kickstarters the um uh, the funding. At the same time, you know, uh, I I want to get away from it. Uh, but I think I might do a couple more, but. Uh, like when I first did, I did first did Indiegogo. Okay, it made sense, you know. No matter mm-hmm. what, like if I make a hundred dollars, I get a hundred dollars. If I make a thousand, I get a thousand. It's not like oh, I was one out of short, so I didn't get no money. So I went to right. Indiegogo. Uh, it was mostly friends and family, you know, straight up. And you know, I lost a lot of sales because they had to make an account and do all that stuff. But like. I knew who I was working with. So I was like, yeah, hey, just hand me the cash money or cash at me, PayPal me, whatever. It's easier where mm-hmm. I just add it to it. Who cares? Uh, so the second time around, I was like, let me do Kickstarter. You know, uh, Kickstarter failed because the same people who did any go go, they didn't come over to Kickstarter because Kickstarter is more in your business that like you got to verify the email and do all that mm-hmm. stuff. So people didn't do it. Yeah, and, we. uh, um, no, I re revamped how I did it so it's like how I came on your show and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, due to Kickstarter, in the next one succeeded, mm-hmm. but it was a, almost a hundred percent different people. Now, these people are comic kind of book creators sell or people who buy stuff on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So then I seen like the, the difference of like this is a net, it just you just keep flying around. I don't, I don't understand. but it's uh, um. Uh, it's a difference. So, like, even now, uh, I think I started in 2019. So, like, what, five years? I don't know. I don't know, bad math. You know, four years in. Um, My people are still, who buy my my book, are not people who typically go to Kickstarter or Indiegogo stuff right. like that. So, like, it's hard for me to wing them in, you know, at, uh, to the Kickstarters. So I can do a pre-sale on my page, be like, "Oh, come get issue five on my page," and they'll go straight to my website and buy it, no problem. Or pre-sale, I mean, uh, pre-order. Mm-hmm. If I do Kickstarter, they'd be like, "Uh, I don't know, seems like a scam." You know, they they do that whole thing. But yeah. Then- oh
1: God, do I know that? And, and until recently, I had a merchandise page on my on my website, and the only reason I stopped it is because right now, between shipping and the uh, cost of raw paper, I'm making. I actually lost money on graphic novels because. Uh, I'm sending out a hundred page graphic novel for 20 bucks. It cost me 17 to print it and Mm -hmm. another seven to sell it, mail it to you. Okay. That's 24, 24 is more than 20, you know, and there's there's only so much I can charge people. I can't start charging them 30, 40 bucks for this, you know, it's just not worth it. So I just kind of stopped that for right now. Um, I'm entering into a new deal with a new printer. Uh, we done this summer and we're going to get those prices back down. And then I'm going to open up the merchandise page again, because that, that for me, um, you can't really see it, but over here I've got shelves filled with comic books and novels and stuff like that that I sell to people directly. And I'll even autograph it, throw in a bookmark. I'm, you know, I'm not a jerk. I try and be nice about it. And that to me has been my best way. Conventions have been conventions have been my best way. This has been my second best way. Uh, Kickstarters that's a fifty-fifty thing with me. It, uh, and I, I agree with you. You, you got to get people to come into it. And there are a lot of people, especially p- people my age. You know, I'm sixty-one. And so, people my age—they want nothing to do with Kickstarter. They're like, "No, no, that's where my information goes to die." And it <laughs> sounds like it's the same thing with your friends. It's like, "No, man, I don't need the—you know—I don't need the man looking at my stuff." Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's um, so it, it is what it is. There are people who love Kickstarter. I haven't found them yet, though. I, if I do, then maybe I'll get on it a little more enthusiastically. But it, it's been an uphill battle. I mean, even the the couple that I had that succeeded. I felt like I was banging my head against the wall because you have to send out so much promo and you have to do so much that you're almost spamming your audience. You know, I've yeah. I got a nice mailing list. I got almost 5,000 people on my mailing list. I don't want to be spamming them every couple of days on a Kickstarter, you know? Yeah. So, mm, yeah, just me though.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I feel the same. Uh, so you do feel like creators don't want to leave Kickstarter because they got social anxiety or something. That's why they don't want to do cons or, why do you think creators don't just go to cons? So I know my reason. I mean, I my reason, I, I ha, well, I in my first con last month. Well, March? February. In February, my first con, um, I didn't set up, but I dressed uh, as a view and went there and peeped the scene out. Uh, Next week, I'm going to another one. I'm doing the same thing, but I'm really peeping the scene out. You know, see how it is because money wise, it didn't make sense to me. I was like, uh, okay, I pay for this booth, I gotta have all these comics, and I have to sell these comics. Oh, and plus, hotel is out of town. uh, I have to sell these comics. They make break even. If I don't, I just took an L for no reason. And everybody was telling me it's a networking thing, and da da da, but it didn't make sense to me money wise. Now, now since I've been and seen, I, I know I can do a couple of things to balance out my, my fees because I see what people are buying there. Like mm-hmm. they're buying more like anime stuff and like certain stuff. Like pe- people really wasn't going like, Oh, it's an indie comic guy over here. Like, Oh, it looks pretty mm-hmm. cool. They would talk to him, but they wasn't really like, okay, here's my money. Take it. You know? So I think if I had more stuff, like I had like, you know, anime sticker on there and they probably mm-hmm. spend my like, anime sticker and I probably like, Oh, if you buy three stickers, I throw my book in there. Somebody, like I still give them my book. And right. i also making money at the same time. So Maybe that's what I'm going to do. But like, what do you think other creators? You think they don't go to cons because of some other reason besides money? Because I,
1: you know, that's a multifaceted answer. Yeah, money is obviously a big issue. Um, you really have to learn how to budget. Uh, my basic rule of thumb is for every dollar I'm spending at the con, I have to be able to make $5 back. And that way, that's my question. So if I make $3 back, at least I know I've made all my money and I still have money to go home and eat on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a big part of it is, is the con world is a little different. Like um, C2E2 just happened and here in Chicago. And the, the indie comics where they have Artist Alley, for example, there's almost no, they. everybody has their indie comics there, but everyone there, they're doing fan art. they're doing their, They're doing stickers, like you said. They've got something else they're selling. Mm-hmm. to make money and then they hope people will buy their comics and that gets a little sad for me um but when you go to a smaller conventions and this is this i found to be very very true uh, i go to the library conventions like I, I go to the one in kankakee every year um you can make bank there because it costs you almost nothing to get in it's like 30 bucks for a table and uh, you're there for a couple of days and you'll sell two three four thousand dollars worth of stuff because you got the same amount of people, but now they're there dedicated to tra- checking out new artists. They're there to check out new art. Uh, and so I, and I tell, and that's the other thing though, to do that kind of stuff, you need to be more, more proactive as to where you're going to put your, where you're going to hang your hat, where you're going to put up your stands. Because I see too many kids, they just look at the big cons. They can't afford to go to the big cons. They don't want to compete against the big cons. So then they just don't go to any cons. And that's that's the wrong answer. The, the answer is find some closer local to you, go to libraries, have them. All, every library, not every library, but a bunch of libraries in the state will always have different conventions, to animate things. Some are geared towards kid. I made the mistake of going to one of those. The average age was six years old. I have like, I've got a comic book called legends parallel. It's got lots of boobs in it. Here you go, Sonny. Um, now, now I'd like to go to jail officer. Thank you. Um, but you know, but it, um, that was a mistake, but all right, that happens. Um, my wife and I got a lovely dinner out of it with people we hadn't seen in a while. So that was nice. But, uh, you, you got to look around where to do the content. There's some work to do that. You know, we put in the work, Brian, who I mentioned earlier, he and I look around all the time for stuff. We're always looking, where can we do this? We're we're going back up. We're going to be the 11th year at Motor City, uh, Black Age of Comics. Um, and actually, that's another funny joke. That There's another company that thought I was black until I walked in the door. And there's a wow. great picture. There's a great picture of 50 black creators. I'm standing in the back, 49 <laughs> black guys in the front. And I'm waving. That's funny. You know, like, and they're like, that We all get along. I mean, hell, you know, I go to dinner with half these guys now. We all love each other, but it was a little bit of a shock for them. It was like, a, like guess who's coming to dinner in reverse. <laughs> but it was great, and we all get along. So, you know, now we're going back for the 11th year. And um, it um, it, you got to put the work in to find the, the – get one tier down and get so you can get more personal with people. You can build your mailing list. Trust me. Building a mailing list is a great way to help sell stuff in the follow-up. Um you can you can develop your fans uh, fan fans who want to come see you. Uh, before the pandemic hit, I actually had fans who would come to specific adventures when I was they would they wouldn't buy my stuff online, they would find out when I was going to be in their town and come there. You, you know, even if it cost them five, ten bucks to get in, because they knew they could come in, they could get their picture taken with me, and I'd sign something for them. It's a much more personal experience, it's a much more relatable experience. And it's a lot of fun. And, you know, people talk about the crowds. I, I've met several uh, creators who talk about the crowds. I'm like, yeah, there's a, a lot of people out there, but that's like going, going to the airport. There's a lot of people, but they're all over there. You're just with whoever you're with. You know, it's yeah, your, your little group.
0: That's why I thought for me, uh, uh, I was always scared, like, oh, coronavirus and the con crowd. I, I always heard about the con crowd. But oh, uh that that
1: that's real I got that once don't do that.
0: But 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 um uh, but no uh so I've been going to local local things, so you know I didn't really caught the car and club in the local little venues mm-hmm. I've been to. But I got young kids and if I go, I have to take my kids because babysitters and mm-hmm. my no, no, yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. So we went, so she was really reluctant to take the kids and go and say go by yourself. I'm like, no, I'm not gonna have you call my phone every five minutes, you know, I'm at the con so just mm-hmm. come with me, bring the kids. So uh, going there, I oh, went. I seen the pictures of how things are because she's really reluctant because you know, comics and stuff like mm. reading really out her thing. So she was like, really reluctant to say, Look, at all that crowds on pictures. I was like, Yeah, but this location, I've been in this location before for a concert. So, like, this place is huge. I, these people have to be in one German location. There's no way it's any people here to see freaking the voice of Vegeta, you know, right. <laughs> on there. Yeah. So, uh, we go and it's very spacious. We got a stroller, the kids, and you know it's very a lot of space. But like, if you not if you don't have the banners and the tables, you're not seen.
1: Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right. Um, my wife, was, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a curmudgeon, but she's the one. You know, we need the banners, we need the we need the tables. So I bought towers. Uh, and I, they're ba- they've got my Bill sci fi banner on the bottom of them, and these towers, and they stand up really tall, and I'm six and a half feet tall, so these things actually tower over me, so when people are coming by, it's like you have to look up, and it's a wall of comic books and a wall of novels, and it's, like, it's a very impressive display, and um, it, you know, everybody's got their own little thing. This works really well for me because I could stand in the middle of these two huge piles of books, and when people ask, and I keep the you know extra books underneath, so if people want to read one, they can grab one off the thing, read it, and if they like it, I give them a fresh one from the bottom, and um it worked you know and it's a good way to work everybody needs their own thing but you're right if you don't have something to draw people to your visually if you don't have something visually to draw them their eye to you they're never going to see you absolutely never going to see a buddy of mine um he had a horrible table he just couldn't get anything to work and then his wife stripped down to a bikini suddenly you got some people
0: <laughs> the way a magic, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that works for everybody. I am a little surprised. She's kind of shy, you know. It's like she's like, no, I want to sell these comics. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> you go, Martha <laughs> you <know?
0: laughs> Yep. Uh, that's dope. Um how do you feel about AI? You think AI is gonna ruin comics?
1: No, no,
0: it's not. It's not. Um it's it's um I have I have issues
1: with AI, but they're more moral issues. Um as far as a tool goes, AI is a tool, a functioning tool. It's like when Photoshop came out. Oh, that's going to ruin art for everybody, you know? When GIMP came out for the free version of Photoshop. Oh, now any idiot can do it. it you know, you're just going to see crap everywhere. Um, you still need you still need skills to use it. You still need uh, abilities to use it, and um, it's it's another tool in the toolbox. Um, I think the problem people have with AI is these people are going up there and they're like. Uh, I need to see Jenna Ortega in a bikini and you get a picture of Jenna Ortega in a bikini and they act like they've done something. And it's like, my my concern with AI now, as as it is right now, is that it can only draw art. It can only create art from existing art. So you're not really creating anything. You're just taking other people's art and blending it into something new, which, you know, it's kind of like mixing, I guess, but it's still not creating anything new. but if you can give you something to work with and you know, using Photoshop or using your manual skills or using whatever that you can in, embellish that or incur, include that into something, a larger project, then I'm interested. Um, right now, AI is not ready to, it's nowhere near ready to take over a comic or try and do a comic book. Um, and the amount of, I saw one guy did it and he's like, he, he took him 24 pages. I think it took him about two years to put the whole thing together. And, you know, and then he went and got a copyright for it, which then got thrown out when they figured out exactly what he'd done. Um, because you're using other people's stuff to create this, you know, it's, it, um, so you can't copyright, you can't copy it. I can't take my Specs Thompson stuff, throw it in my wall and go, look, Bill McCormick did this. No, I didn't. You know, I don't care whose name I write on the bottom. It's still Spex Thompson stuff. And that's where AI is at right now. It's It's, It's a tool, it's like a reference tool. It's like if you use body models, or if you use sculptor models, or you use 3D rendering models. it's a tool. Um, But you still have to do a lot more to make it worthwhile and make it work, you know? Um, I saw something recently that a guy was experimenting with um, using AI to create backgrounds and then doing his characters over the backgrounds. And that looked kind of cool. That was something interesting. And I'd like to see how he goes with that because there's no way to copyright a landscape from Utah. That's just Utah, you know? Um, so I'm looking see, I'm looking forward to seeing what he's doing and whether or not it's a limitation to him or if it's something that's going to open up new possibilities for him. But right now, one of the few things I've seen where someone's using it, using it correctly without infringing on anybody else's rights.
0: Yeah. Um, two issues I got with it uh, uh, the voice one. You know, I feel like the voice ones will get people in trouble. Yes. Uh. So right now, I see trends of people just talking. You know, this oh it's it's uh, Donald Trump talking on AI, you know. But like <laughs> let's say he's smart enough to say, oh do voice recording, they gotta me saying this, that's AI voice recordings. So now he's he's out of jail, you know. <laughs> so yeah, like or uh I start saying, Oh, I got unreleased music of Michael Jackson, and I start dropping all kinds of songs using Michael Jackson's voice, you know, but it's really me singing. But is it, you know, it's my like Jackson voice, so I get all kind of records, you know. Where where's the line drawn at with that? Same thing with the chat box that I can say I got a new JR Token book, and it's in mm-hmm. his style. You know. Well,
1: I'm I, I'm always I'm always reminded you may be too young to know this guy, but there's this uh producer named Dr. Dre. And uh I'm, way, I'm very well <laughs> <fair. laughs> way, way, way back in the day that he had a running joke that he sampled Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Bands, and because it was sampled, he could release it because it was new. It was his art, and obviously that was full. But um, it was his way of saying, you know, you, you still have to create something yourself. Um, yes, you can use chat box as a tool. Yes, you can use. Uh, uh, I'm I'm actually a member of what's called Notion IO. The uh, uh, it's a it's a artificial intelligence tool for writing, um, and I, I've used it. I actually wrote a blog with it. Uh, it's a great way for me. I put stuff in and it says, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? That's fine. It's still me doing the input. Now, it, now it becomes my assistant. That's like me having a secretary going, Mr. McCormick, did you really want to call him the, the gentleman at want on a uh, complete flaming mullet No, you're right. Let's just say we disagree. Um, you know, <laughs> but it, it gives you a pause while you're writing. And I like that. It's something, uh, I I'm enjoying very much. Um, but yes, uh, Artificial intelligence, people are just throwing stuff into it and getting garbage in, garbage out, and that's where we're at right now. It's a wild, wild west. But things, it's like everything else. Like I said, with Photoshop, oh, with Photoshop, they're going to be able to put anybody's picture into anything, and everyone's going to look, you know. A Photoshop expert, and I, I actually am one, um, can look at a picture and go, nope, the shadows are wrong. This is wrong. That's wrong. This is Photoshop, you know, Mm -hmm. and just and you call it out right away. I've only seen one that actually made it through like a bunch of different experts couldn't, couldn't figure it out that it was Photoshop until somebody pointed out that the background was in one year and this guy died three years before. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's really, you know, it's, you can do stuff in a style of, or do this and then that. And I, I find that as an intellectual exercise to be stimulating and interesting. Like you said, Tolkien, um, especially in the multi-language things, you know, chat box, Chatbox is never going to handle, well, at least not yet, um, Tolkien's invention of the Elvish language and the Mordor language and all the stuff that goes with that. It's not just the style of Tolkien. You have to get all those nuances and all those subtleties into it. Um, there's uh, a few years back uh, when I was writing for the World News Center, For uh, we did a weekly radio show on Fox here in Chicago, um, wbig and um, did a thing on artificial intelligence writing. And one guy tried to get uh, artificial intelligence to write an episode of Game of Thrones. It was painful to read. <laughs> so oh <my> bad. <laughs> worse than worse than last season. <laughs> it actually, it actually made the last season seem sensible. Um <laughs> you know, it's like bleak, my court Shall I go down and do that It's like because it's just grabbing words and because it didn't have
0: was it uh, money Manipata?
1: <laughs> no, it wasn't quite that funny, but it was just <laughs> chat box needs structure to words, or any of these things they require structure to words. And when you get into something like Game of Thrones, you get into some of the stuff like I write. Words don't mean the same things that they meant otherwise. And, and if you read the show or you watch the show, it means everything makes sense to you because it's in context. But these AIs, they don't understand context. Not really. Other than unless it's, you know, blue goes with the blue wall. It, it has to be apples to apples. Once you get outside of that, you get into some interesting bad, bad places. <laughs> and um, I'll send you a link to it when we get off the air. I'll send you a link to it uh, because it's got all the stuff up there where you can read the actual the original Game of Thrones thing and what this thing came up with and your head will spin. It's like, no, no, don't do that ever. Never do that. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. Who is Bob? Bob. Yeah. Bob Sins of the Sun? My Bob? Yeah. yeah. Bob. Bob is the son of death. And um oh boy, we're getting into a that. All right. Bob is the son of death and he wants to be a superhero in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And his sister, who's like a real big goody-goody and wants to play by the rules, she's the daughter of death. Uh, thinks that's a bad idea. Um, and death, of course, dad thinks it's a horrible idea. Um, I just wanted to have some fun with the whole idea of death. I mean, because you know, people are always like, there's one death, and it goes around the whole universe and and takes everybody to the afterlife. And that's really nice. You, you, I mean, when you think about it, death comes to your house and goes, you know, hey, Spets, it's time to go. Let's go together. You're not alone. I'm going to be there with you. That's kind of cool. You're not, you're not being left alone. There's, there's that one last helping hand to get you to where you need to go. That is cool. But um, obviously, there's no way. To, that's like Santa Claus. How does he get everywhere all the time, all at once? Um, which, by the way, everywhere all the time, all, everywhere all at once. That movie was great. I like that. Yeah, but, everybody uh, talk
0: about that. I haven't seen that yet.
1: Oh, please go see it. It's just a, it's a complete. Make sure you get a po. You know, take a toke or a drink and sit back <laughs> and just enjoy this thing. It's 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 a it's a feast, man. It's a
0: feast. Okay.
1: I'm a tequila guy. My wife's a, tequila, a marijuana girl. But either way. Anyway, hey, but, I'm
0: saying, I'm same thing. Same thing. Tequila? I love the Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, Don, you and I can part. Don, Don Julio. I love it. I, I'm uh, more of a Jose Cuervo silver, but. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, do, I do all of it, but you know. Yeah. I fell in love with
1: Don Julio. Uh, and I can't blame you. I like it. I just happen to prefer this. But um, anyway, it's a great movie. But my, my point is, Bob is this character. It's kind of this weird supernatural thing. Um, I actually have a version of the Paternoster, which is the Latin version of the uh, Our Father prayer. Uh, that ends issue one. Uh, that's coming out this summer. Um, it's a very unusual book, and it was a lot of fun to write because I wanted to say g- death can't handle all this stuff, and so him so how does death get the people he or the helpers he needs? And in this case, he finds women who have a death fetish, and he gets them pregnant, and then they have his kids, and he uses the kids to grow and grow and become death in their neighborhoods, and they they get bad, they get bonuses out of it. They get a really long life, you know. Uh, but yeah, so Bob is the son of death, lives in Chicago. Uh, it's it's an interesting book. It's it's an interesting book. It,
0: it sounded like, sound like
1: it. My wife read the script. She looked at me for a long time, and now she loves it. But there was there was that moment like, boy, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: funny. That's funny. All right, so what is uh, A Legend's Parable? Legend's Parallel. Legend's parallel. 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 Yeah, uh, my handwriting. Hand
1: right <laughs> <is> parallel. <laughs> Legend's Parallel. This is the granddaddy who started them all. This is the book Brian and I. Worked on together we started working on it in uh december of 2015 and we we're actually being hired by another guy to put it together mm-hmm. and that guy he owed me um like four or five thousand dollars for all the work i had done he sent me a ten dollar paypal and wow. i was like yeah so i sent it back to him i mean even though i could have used the 10 bucks to buy a drink or something i just sent it back to him and brian and i got to talking with a couple other people we were uh uh, uh sherry vanilla hardy and uh dorothy jean and uh Leslie, Par- Leslie Taylor hadn't come aboard yet. Mm-hmm. But we got to talking about it. And we said, you know what? We throw out everything this other guy did or wanted to do. And what do we got left? We got the stuff that I created and Sherry created and Brian created and Dorfees created. And since we weren't paid for it, nobody owned it.
0: Mm-hmm. So we,
1: we put it together. And Dorfice and I threw a bunch of ideas back together. Um, Dorfice, by the way, she's a Haitian activist, lives in Miami right now. Wonderful woman. Absolutely wonderful. If you run across on, online, become her friend. She's a really lovely lady. But, nope. um, so she and I threw a bunch of ideas back and forth together and we started putting things together and we came up with Legends Parallel and we ran it by Brian and he said, yes, he would fund it. He, you know, he's like, let's make this happen. And, um, one thing led to another and the first time it came out in uh, June of 2016 and we've done some primping for it on the internet you know, like, Hey, it's coming out, this, that, and the other thing. And we were a little surprised how much people liked it. We, cause it's a little more mature than your traditional comic book, um, uh we, we joke that you know it's, it's it's got boobs um but it's also got a lot of violence and it's got but it's got a lot of political stuff in it and um we start you start reading reviews and people got it that was the thing that we were worried about nobody would get it they would take a look at a boob and go oh boobs you know can't have that in america and uh, especially because we've got lesbian boobs so whatever um, <laughs> but in fact that's that's one of my favorite things uh, about a year after it came out uh, we were getting ready to work on issue two and this girl at the library, uh, she's seventeen, and she looked at me, and she goes, "I read your comic," and I went, "Oh, okay." And she goes, "I love it. It's got lesbian boobs, just like mine." I said, "Okay, now I learned something about you." You know, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for sharing. Um, but yeah, it's it's resonated. It's really got a it's got a nice little cult following. Pandemic screwed us up because we ended up we had ordered a bunch of c- copies to start selling in uh, twenty twenty at convention, so we had closets full of this stuff, and. Um, of course, we couldn't take it anywhere. So we had to kind of stop and take a year and a half to sell all this stuff, almost two years to, you know, finally get everything sold. And now we're back on our feet and we're coming back to do more. But it, uh, it's kind of, it's, I got they got a great review in uh, England on uh Sci-Fi Comic Nexus. Zach Weber gave it like five out of five stars, you know, because of the politics and because of the way it goes. He's like, yeah, it's got boobs and stuff, but it goes. it's got some harsh things. There's a, a whole issue dedicated to a, a universe. It's a multiverse thing. And so, in one of the multiverses, uh, Africa never got colonized. Instead, Africa colonized the world. So, white people are living in the ghettos, and white people are, they call them the haunts. They want to get rid of them. You know, they don't want them in their time. And it's brutal. It's very difficult to read. But I wanted it to be difficult to read because I wanted people to face racism honestly. You know, I want them to look at it honestly. And the only way to do that sometimes is hit people in the head with a hammer. But by the same token, I wanted to give the other people a reason to be afraid. You know, what? They, they, it takes one little thing, you make it into a big thing, but you're only that one little thing. And so it, it's a difficult read for some people. And, and it, was, it was meant to be a difficult read. And it was meant to be a little more challenging. And it's worked out that way. And people really get it. And uh, when we started selling them up at Motor City Black Age of Comics, I was afraid these guys were going to laugh me out of the room. But they love it. You know, we sell t shirts and stuff like that. Um, but people got it. And I, I think that's the highest compliment you get is that people get what you're trying to get, They're, they get your point. Um, yeah, you know, and um, we actually uh, there's uh, a teacher down to Southern Illinois University because we actually used a uh, real math to come up with the multiverse. It wasn't just like, hey, imagine this. No, we, there's a we used a guy's guy's actual uh, calculations to how a multiverse would work, and um, included them in issue one of the comic because we're fun that way. And so there's a lady at Southern Illinois University who uses it for introduction to particle physics classes. You have the kids; they read that comic. It's like this is how it could work. This is the way that it would logically work. Like, forget about what you saw on DC or Marvel. This is the way it would logically work. And so, <laughs> that's you know, that's kind of cool. The, the people get it and they understand it. And they, they you know, the the running the light tagline for it is uh, for people who think you know physics or people who think us uh, bah, people who think the multiverse isn't violent or sexy enough. We fix that.
0: Okay. Yeah. so, That's it. All right. So what's one of marcy's marvels
1: oh marcy's marvels that's actually that's kind of that's a project near and dear to my heart um a girl named marcy gerald uh she passed away a couple years ago um she's a teenager um she was bullied uh sexually harassed um she'd been through a whole bunch of stuff and she finally took her own life she couldn't take it anymore Mm -hmm. and that's a depressing way to start a show here i'm sorry about that but her mom Her mom decided to. Uh, she, she wanted something. She wanted something in memory of her daughter, a positive memory. And so mm-hmm. I wrote Marcy's Marvels, and it's what it is. It's about Marcy, and she helps keep kids away from other abusers, keeps them away from bullies, keeps them away from uh, any harm that would come to a kid her age, you know, a teenage girl her age. Uh, we get a little dark with it. We we make sure we mark a T for teens, so little kids don't read it. Um, it has been incredibly well received. In fact, I was on, I was on. Um, I was on one of those chat rooms where you go to as a as a film creator. And I was in one of those chat rooms talking to somebody and somebody said, Oh, you're the guy who did Marcy's Marvel. And I'm like, yeah. And said, she goes, I love it. My daughter loves it. And we're going back and forth about it and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I can't wait to get enough of them so I can, you know, take it to my boss. And I said, what do you do? She goes, well, I'm one of the, that, one of the acquisition directors for Netflix. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, hi, how are you? <laughs> my name is <laughs> don't mind me. I'm just going to be a puddle of glue over here. But, um, it's a, it's a really, it's a wonderful book. Issue number two is coming out real soon. Uh, we found this guy in uh, the Philippines, Echo uh, Paraphion to do the art. And he's just been a joy to work with. He, he's one of those guys, he sends you the pencils. You talk about, he, he's there with you every step of the way. So it makes it easy to work with. Um, but it's, it's a book we're trying to make, we want kids to feel better about themselves. We want kids to understand you can talk to someone. There's a place to go. Um, I don't want it to all be top-down solutions. I don't want it to all be bottom-up there there are ways to deal with things and yeah it's a superhero comic but it's um it's super like like legends fair it's a superhero comic with a message and it's a superhero comic to try and help people in this case trying to help kids look out for themselves to, you know don't fall for the traps don't fall for the the gruff don't don't let other people put you down and i'm really proud of it and i'm glad it's gotten such a good response um it sold a ton of uh, elizabeth gerald uh gerald uh, she's the Marcy's mom. She put all this together, and she's the one who's uh made sure people have it. She makes sure there's copies available at different places. It's a solid seller. It, it's really, it's a real pleasure and it's an honor to be involved with something like this. I'm sticking it out. Just did the second issue, and looking forward to doing many more.
0: It looks really good, man. Artwork looks very really good. I'm just glancing through it right here, and it's like uh. Panel work really great, you know. You, it really looks cinematic, so like I can probably see it really, uh, really is getting picked up. Uh, I got a similar concept, you know, that you know I'm thinking about doing. Uh, I don't know what you call it—a superhero type book, but kind of same thing. Like, uh, you familiar with Luke the Luke Hates show? Oh yeah. So. It's kind of mixed between the Luke, Luke Cage show and Equalizer. Uh, Interesting.
1: Okay. I wouldn't have put those two together. I like that.
0: Yeah. So, uh, uh, wait, wait, tattoo- wait.
1: Oh, old school equalizer, ukule- old school equalizer, or the new uh, Queen Latifah equalizer? What's old school? It's an old white guy who wears a trench coat and beats the crap out of people.
0: I guess the same thing. But, okay. uh, <laughs> but, uh, a tattoo artist, you know, she works in tattoo art, said to be in a barbershop by Luke Cage. And, I guess she would have powers or supernatural stuff. I don't know if it's gonna be powers or supernatural. Mm-hmm. Uh, but
1: oh, that'd be cool! You tattoo something on someone, and then it comes to life at night, eats oh, them. W- w- no, no, it's more like it's <laughs> more sorry, like uh
0: funny. uh her tattoos... like for for some kind of ink or something. I don't know what I don't mm-hmm. come up with. But her tattoos are her family members that died or some kind of way, so they represent certain things. So you got. They'll come, they'll I don't know if they're gonna be actual like possessions or just people in the background talking to her. So you got different personalities, you know, helping her get out the weight. But essentially, people around the town would know she has these powers. So they'd be like, Hey, you know, uh so-and-so has been getting beaten up by her husband lately, if She she's having came to work. Can you go over there and check on her? Something like that, you know. I like that like, oh. she like, All right, she'll go over there, you know, she would handle situation. I like that
1: because that's more neighborhood. That's you know, even with Legends Parallel, we got the multiverse and everything. But I keep trying to keep it grounded. And here's the family. Here's, because I get mm-hmm. so tired of what was that a few years ago? Batman got special powers. He became a god on a throne. I'm like, no, Oh, yeah, uh, uh,
0: the Morbius chair.
1: Yeah, the Morbius chair. It's like you know, no, not everything needs to be so superpowered. Not everything. Heroes can. T- that's why I was like a friendly neighborhood Spider Man. He was taking mm-hmm. care of his neighborhood. You know. I know in the movies they made it all this big stuff, but they seem to
0: be getting back to it. Um, yeah, I think they... with a reboot or whatever they're doing, six, phase five, six, seven, whatever Disney doing, I think that's what they're gonna do now. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that that's cooler, Because that's what Spidey is. Spidey's the local neighborhood guy. Batman used to be the Batman of Gotham. Now he's like Batman of the world, and he's doing all things. Oh, man.
0: Yeah, he got he, he got he got uh he got a Batman LLC, Batman Incorporated, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh um yeah i mean i think it's that's more of my my books are more focused on neighborhood stuff because uh i i mean am i into that stuff yeah i i'm not really into like the bigger stuff like all the around the world stuff like if i would do something all around the world it'd probably be something like a captain planet type of deal or something mm-hmm. like that but like i don't know if my brain can't fathom you know, a superhero being all around the world or somebody doing all-around-world problem uh, because, like, this is what I see, this is what I'm around. So, yeah, I can do part of mm-hmm. the United States or something, but, like, oh, he got to go stop freaking terrorists and freaking Iran. I, why? I mean, if I was... My thing... Oh, my thing is... I haven't submitted the term yet, and other people probably have. It's called anti-hero. Mm-hmm. So, uh, my best example of anti-hero is Negan from The Walking Dead.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, like, yes, you see him as a villain, but if the story started with Negan, Rick would have been the villain. Right. So, so, with that being said about the terrorists, like, I could be Iranian and be over there and I think the U.S. coming over here is a villain, so, like, you can't write about it. like, because hey, Have my, you read
1: my book? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, my book, Splice, it has a whole section about an imam in uh, the Middle East and his whole thing is he makes, he shows how the Americans are the terrorists and how he's the good guy. And mm-hmm. people who've read the book get very uncomfortable with that because it's a little close to home. You don't want to think that way. You don't want to flip things over that way. But I like that, by the way. You know, just because I did it doesn't mean you can't do it because you're going to come at it from a whole different way. And that's yeah. a, that's the beauty of it. You it. Know, um, Success is not pie. There's enough for everybody. And it's just like the idea. Take it and make it your own, you know? And superheroes. Uh, that's never been done before. Mm, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. yeah so, I made a post. Yeah. I made a post about that recently. People uh jumped on jump all down my neck about it. I was like, because really I'm making I want to make a Cat America type character. So I wanted to know who else had made one, you know. Um I was like, so people made uh Spider-Man, Superman, Batman type of archetypes in their books. How many people made Cat America? And people got on there like Stop copying the big two. We don't want that American ideals. This and third. I'm like, I don't care nothing about that. I'm just asking who who made like people buy superhero books in America. Mm-hmm. That's what people buy, and the people like yeah. superheroes, you know. And because I want to make a Captain America character like a uh, like a farm boy type guy, or mm-hmm. just like uh, like a just regular blue collar parents work factories and this and third, and he's a typical, you know. I guess typical white guy or uh, what this hardworking white guy and versus in, and, and that goes to the military or whatever, just like that so people can relate to that character versus Captain America. Somebody born in 1920, that might still be kind of racist, <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I got, I'm sorry. I saw the news today. I think that's still going on.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. <all right. coughs> Excuse me. But, um, but uh, yeah, just somebody like in general, cause like, I'm surprised, you know, Marvel hasn't revamped Captain America like they revamp, you know, the Punisher or Wolverine. You know, every right. time they bring it back, because like the amount of wars, Wolverine and, and Punisher on fault, you know, they keep they keep getting recon. I'm surprised they haven't done that with Captain America yet. They keep making him 1940, 1920, wherever he's from, you know.
1: Yeah, I th- I think it's probably because they brought in. um uh, the, Falcon. The, Fal- the Falcon to become the new Captain America. And that was their way of retconning that. Um, which, by the way, I'm a big fan. I, I love the TV show. I love the comic version of it. Um, I thought it was a fresh take on the character. So if that's their way of doing it, cool. So be it. But you're right. The, nobody does much with Captain America. That's one character who's like, he's always pulled out of the ice. He's always fighting the Red Skull and Nazis. And, you know, he's always trying to figure out who won the Brooklyn Dodgers baseball game in
0: 1946. Yeah. And it's a The best thing... That I've seen and how Marvel should have handled it was a Soldier Boy thing. You've watched the mm. boys, yeah? Oh God, yeah, yeah. So how he came back with like Ugh, two guys kissing, like like awesome, mm-hmm. like that. Like <laughs> that's how he should how Steve was supposed to act because right in World War Two, none of that was going on. Oh, you
1: know? I don't know about that. They just I mean, me, I mean,
0: it, no, it wasn't open. Like it wasn't it like wasn't open. Like, yeah, yeah, like walking out, like like Soldier Boy scene, walking down the street. You know, a black guy and. And the white guy doing like none of that's going on. I mean, it was no, going man. on, but you know, it's not going. You know, right, right, right. right, 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 right it, yeah. it, it would, back then, they probably get some sticks, you know, and, and beat him <laughs> because of it or something. I don't wow. know. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, just like stuff like that. I want to. That's to that. That's more realistic to me. You know, favorite, favorite. Uh, I think Disney are going more towards that with the whole joke about was Steve Rogers a virgin or not. <laughs> You know, oh, yeah, funny. and
1: She-Hulk, that was funny, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. because that's the real thing, just because he was a nerd or whatever, straight out of high school, went to the military, then get frozen in the ice.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, when, when did he have any downtime in there? So, yeah.
0: Then as soon as he get unfrozen, he has to join the freaking Avengers for, like, 12 years, and then get killed.
1: <laughs> yeah, or get shot back in time and come back him
0: Yeah, when oh. he when hit, when he never had a birthday party, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Well, that's in that segment. You know, we uh, dragged that out pretty long, but we got a lot of things. You know, touched on in uh, in the right way. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, this has been a lot of fun.
0: Um, so last segment, you know, I'm gonna close out with one question. Um, you know, it's called digging the crates. You know, okay, not a two parter. You know, music lovers they'll dig in the crates and find that vinyl, and that CD they love and whatnot. And comic book lovers they do the same thing, finding that one comic. You know. That spider-man comic in your case you know that you grew up with you want to find that in the in the, in the boxes and uh but this segment is this question is the something people can take take with them from this uh interview about you um kind of like a kind of like a nobel prize question or something like that so okay and, in this regard um i'm gonna go to your, more than to your music side versus your comic side so um uh, you made it big, you know, music, you know, or whatnot. It uh, is your your farewell, you know, show, whatever. Uh, either what city you would like to do that in, or what festival would you like to headline? Do your farewell, you know, show?
1: That was easy, I would do it in Chicago. Chicago, uh, I mean,
0: any festival or show in, in general in Chicago, or just the city,
1: just the city just to, to do a show here in the city, um, this city has been my home. It's been my, you know, it's, it's been, um uh, it's been my mom. It's been my dad. It's been my family. Um, if I was going to go out, I would go out here, you know, um, it, this would be, I, I, it'd be silly for me to do it any place else. I am a t- money grab. If I do it here, I'd probably do it here and do it for free. Just okay. open the doors, come on in. Um, that probably isn't rational to do if you, if I'm as big and successful as you say, but I would still do something like that Um because I would just want it to be fun. I would just want it to be, you know, for the people, by the people kind of thing. Um, okay. uh, yeah. I I do love this city and uh, I love all, you know, they have, I love the diversity here. And uh so, yeah, it, it would be something I would give, if I was going to do that, I would give back and make sure it was something for here. All right.
0: That's cool, man. That's cool, man. But, uh, Hey, that's all I got for you, man. It was a great show, you know. Uh, tell the people where they can find your books or follow you along with your journey and to support you in any way they see fit.
1: Uh this one's easy. Just go to BillMcSciFi.com. Um, there's a really lovely menu up. You have got really great front-end graphic that I've used. Uh, and then once you get past that, uh, you could, the pages are really laid out. Do you want to look at my novels? Do you want to look at short stories? Do you want to look at comics? Do you want to buy merchandise? I sell great merchandise. Everything from onesies for babies to t shirts and uh, bathrobes.
0: So, okay.
1: If you want something, we've got it. And <laughs> my bio is up there, and you can contact me. And my blogs are up there, which covers several years worth of newsletters that you can read. It's all up there, BillMixSciFi.com. Cool, cool,
0: cool, cool. Man, and once again, man, thanks for coming on, man. Really enjoyed it. And uh, maybe next time I had a view up here with me. So, you know, <laughs> us, us two talking. Uh, all right, my
1: friends. Specs,
0: thank, thank you. you very much. And no problem, man. So, yeah, my co host, The View, he had a deal with that shootout that happened, but we still had our guest, you know, Bill McSci I make sure y'all check him out. Check out his website at Bill McSci Check out all his works, you know, good dude. And his podcast is a great podcast as well. And you want to check out my co host books, you know, whenever he shows up, go to legacytheview.com and you can check out. Him and all his adventures through social media at Legacy The View. And if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Spec Seven O Six. And if you want to be on the on show, just contact us at Chill the Green Box at Gmail and on social media. And I'm out.